Disrupted Futures. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today, I'm here with Nick Halverson, CEO of OcuSpace. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Hugh. Excellent. So let's talk about first what OcuSpace is. Yeah. OcuSpace is a people measurement company. We have IoT sensors that measure how people use space. So effectively, we're counting how many people are in a space at a given time with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi signal analysis. Interesting. First of all, who uses this? Yeah, you know, I'll maybe tell a little bit of the origin story here because that's that's part of who uses the technology. We're primarily used in higher education universities today. Mm -hmm. And a large part of that is because I started the company when I was a junior electrical engineering student at UC San Diego. And it was not a big idea to measure how space is used, improve construction, design, space utilization of office space. A lot of the things we do to do today is not what I started the company for. I started the company because I'm a relatively impatient person. I was born and raised in a town of 4,000 people in Florida. I moved to San Diego and I hated how crowded everything was. And so whether it was on campus or off campus, everything's packed in San Diego. And one day I was going up and down eight floors of my library and I stopped and I said, man, I wish I knew how busy every floor was before I came. And that was kind of the aha moment. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm an electrical engineer. Like I should be able to solve this problem. I should be able to make a way where people can, uh, some kind of sensor that can passively count people in real time display that on an app or a website for students and maybe students can see how busy every floor of the library is the gyms the dining halls the student union and that would be like a really cool senior project i'd be able to do a lot of cool stuff put it on my resume go get a real job when i graduate and i co-founded the company with my buddy linus grazel he's a master's in machine learning and so i said look i'll build the hardware you build the machine learning algorithms to go from Bluetooth and Wi-Fi signal data to people. And let's see if this can be a cool project. And so we won a couple of pitch contests, got some money to buy the hardware sensors. The university was incredibly helpful and, and kind of really helping us get that pitch contest winnings, coach us through those, and then allowing us to put all these sensors across the student spaces on campus. And we developed our algorithms for almost about a year. And so we launched it our senior year of college. And we're getting about 90% accurate people estimations with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi signal analysis. And we posted that real-time data on how busy these places were on an app, made one Facebook post about it. And in the first day, 5,700 students downloaded the app. And I was like, wow, this is great. To, it was really cool to see that I'm not the only person that's frustrated with how crowded places were. But at that point, it was still just a school project. And it wasn't until two weeks later when the vice chancellor in charge of real estate called me up and said, Nick, how do you have this data on my buildings? And I was kind of freaking out a little bit, thinking <laughs> I was going to get expelled. And he goes on to say, at UCSD, we spend about $1.2 billion a year on construction. And we have no idea how any of our buildings are actually being used. And I was like, what? Like, that's, that's unbelievable to me. And my mind immediately went to the digital world, which I was more familiar with. And I was like, man, I wouldn't spend 20 bucks a month on a website without analytics on how many people are coming, how long are they staying, what are they clicking on? 
but somebody can spend hundreds of millions or billions of dollars a year on physical space without any of this kind of basic data. Uh, and that's when the vision for OccuSpace really went from being a school project to a real company. And the vision became, you know, can we bring the power of web analytics to the physical world by actually measuring how people use physical space? Um, because that's really not done, at least in a scalable way today. So that's a little bit of the origin story on, on the company. And that's what kind of brought us to higher ed being our first customer. And then really, higher ed's a very referral happy industry. So, you know, you land one school in Georgia and the three neighboring schools that are their peer universities all say, hey, what are you using here? Like, is it working? And they tell their peers about it and it really kind of grows naturally. And we kind of grew the company pretty lean, pretty capital efficient. We didn't raise a ton of big rounds of funding in the early days. And so about 60% of our business was all just referrals. And we only had one salesperson until, you know, a month ago. So we've, we've tried to grow pretty lean to date. And that's resulted in a lot of university referrals and that being the bulk of our business today. Really interesting. So talk to me a little bit about what it is. So you mentioned a sensor. What does that look like? And, and you know, what are we talking about? Is it three or four of them? Is it one per room? Is it two or three per room to triangulate? How do you guys tend to make it make the actual technology work in real space? Yeah, this is something we spent a long time in the early days figuring out what kind of technology do we actually want to use to count people. Uh, and there's a lot of different options out there. We wanted to use camera technology because frankly, that's the easiest way to count a person is with a camera. The problem is cameras are expensive. They're difficult to install. They're very power hungry. So if you have a battery powered camera, it probably won't last a ton of time. And more than likely, you'll need to pull power or POE cabling to that camera. And they have to be mounted on the ceiling looking down. And you need one camera every 400 square feet of space, generally, depending on the ceiling height. And so that just didn't seem like a super scalable solution to us. The university wasn't going to do any infrastructure changes to support that. There was going to be big privacy concerns with that approach that I wasn't comfortable with, the school wouldn't be comfortable with. And finally, we couldn't afford that many cameras to cover the space. And there's a couple other solutions, the sensors that are similar to cameras like millimeter wave and thermal, but they have a lot of the same pros and cons to cameras. And so we really looked at Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and we said, look, everybody has so many devices on them today that are, you know, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi enabled. There has to be a way we can analyze this signal data and get to an accurate people estimation. And nobody's doing it on the market, but like this is the way we can create a truly scalable solution. If, if we want to look at the market when we started taking this company Seriously, we want, we want to look at the market and say there's some 87 billion square feet of commercial real estate in America, maybe 55 billion square feet of in-scope commercial real estate. And we want to create a solution that can actually scale up to that. It has to be something that's self-installable, something that's low cost, and something that's not privacy invasive because it's just too much square feet. You can't roll out a truck. You can't hire an electrician to do that across the whole country. And so that's kind of what drew us to Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. It was affordable, it was privacy safe, and it was easier to scale up, especially in the form factor that we developed. And so 
the sensor looks like a little white box that plugs directly into a standard wall outlet. There's adhesive on the back of the sensor. So uh, somebody gets a box of our sensors with some floor plans and instructions, and there's an app that takes them through the install process. And they take the floor plan and they say, all right, I'm supposed to plug a sensor into this location on the map. They pull a sensor out of the box, they peel off the adhesive on the back of the sensor, they plug it into the outlet. We, we require about one sensor every 3,000 square feet of space. So, you know, customers can do this process really, really easy. I really believe we're the only scalable occupancy data solution on the market today. We have customers install 120,000 square feet of space in 45 minutes with two people. So it can be done really, really fast. And I think that's one of our biggest advantages over our competitors. It reminds me of Beacon Technology, where in that it's not the same. Where, where Beacons, you often had to have almost an engineer figure out where to put them. And it sounds like what you're saying is because it's not quite so directional and you're not worried about pinpointing things so much as their presence or absence, that it's really easy to install. You just find a plug within limits. I mean, if it's behind something, obviously you've got an issue or if it's in a metal cage. But it, it's pretty straightforward. You don't need to map it out with anything like the same level of um, precision that, that some other technologies needed. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. You know, like we're not dependent on we need a sensor in an exact spot. We tell our customers, hey, this is the area we want a sensor. Find an outlet anywhere around there and we're going to be fine. And we've kind of made a, a decision that we don't need seat level granularity in how we report data. We report how many people are in a floor or a neighborhood of a building every minute of the day. And we don't report how many people are at individual seats. And by saying that that level of granularity isn't important to us because we don't believe it's important to our customers, ultimately, we can dive into that more. We're able to be way more flexible with where our sensors go. We're able to use a lot less sensors and ultimately, we still get the same level of accuracy for the kind of larger zone neighborhood floor, but we're passing up the seat level accuracy. And I think there's certainly some use cases that need seat level accuracy, but I would say not over 90% of the ROI you get from occupancy data can be had without seat level uh, granularity in the data. And I'm happy to dive into that more. Well, let's, because for me, I, I it seems obvious that how many people are using a room is what most people care about. And there may be specialists, examples where someone wants to know more, more specifically where people are, maybe for advertising or for some other use cases. But most owners are just worried about, I would have thought, roughly how many people are using parts of their building during what parts of the day. I mean, just so much value in knowing that within a, within a reasonable kind of variation. You know what I mean? Like a plus or minus mm -hmm. of something pretty, pretty, pretty tight. That's enormous. And, and to the point, I guess the, U, the UCSD person told you is they don't know that. And they're spending enormous amounts of money and they don't have a choice. They have to build these buildings. But where are they investing and, and what are they spending time on versus maybe deprioritizing? It, you know, without that information, they don't know. So they just build based on what they built in 1950. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so to kind of zoom in on that, you know, I started the company in 2019 and right after we started we got our first sale in like august or september of 2019 right after that COVID happened 
I thought that was going to be a big tailwind to the company, but it was actually a big headwind because at that point, people were looking for either no occupancy data because their campuses were shut down, their offices were shut down, everybody was fully remote, and they're like, I don't need your sensors to tell me that there's zero people in my space. Or they were looking for seat by seat, very specific data to kind of enforce um, social distancing. I almost forgot that word. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> to enforce social distancing, they wanted that seat level data. And now, post COVID world, more and more people are realizing hey, what are the decisions I want to make with occupancy data? Uh, the number one ROI decision I can make is how many square feet of space do I need? And ultimately, how they usually make that decision is they look at each department, how many employees are in that department, how many desks are allocated to that department, and then can we section off that neighborhood of desks and can we say, hey, IT department has 80 employees, but based on their 80 desks that we see, there's only 10 people showing up every day. IT is pretty much working fully remote. And then the space planners, the space allocators can go and say, hey, director of IT, you got 80 employees, but you're only using 10 desks a day. We're going to give you 20 desks. You should be fine. But then we're going to take that 60 desks back and we're going to be able to allocate it to a different department. And if you do that across all your space, you can either shed a lot of leased spaces if you're a corporate office occupier and you're leasing your, your office space, or if you're a higher ed institution, you usually own your office space and being more efficient with the existing space allows you to then reduce your need for new construction. A university like UCSD spending $1.2 billion a year the average university is about 20% office space. So they're spending, you know, ballpark at 240, 250 million bucks a year on building new office space for their staff on campus. And if you can reduce that need substantially by improving the, the utilization of existing space, you can start to save some really, really big numbers of money for these universities that can be then distributed and improve budgets for different departments, hire more grad students, do more renovations, all these other things that they want to do. But the ROI gets really big. And the data that you need for that is just in this neighborhood of space or on this floor, how many people are there? I don't need to know who's there. I don't want to know who's there generally. And I don't need to know what desk they're at. The other big ROI things, that's far and away the biggest one. The other big one is identifying underutilized spaces so that you can common spaces so you can repurpose them into something else. Break rooms, gyms, different amenities. What are these spaces? Is this a big break room that nobody's using? Can we turn it into something that will be a benefit for our employees? That also, you don't need any kind of seat level. It's just the room, which we can monitor as well. Uh, and then there's HVAC integrations to reduce energy efficiency. There's custodial integrations to reduce the efficiency at which people clean a building. So they clean based on actual utilization of the space rather than just cleaning everywhere every day. Neither of those things require seat level data. Really the only use case that requires seat level data is furniture buying decisions. If you want to say this piece of furniture gets used this much versus this piece of furniture right next to it gets used that much. That's really one of the only decisions you need seat level data for. And it's just a low ROI decision compared to all of those other decisions. And it's something you can usually infer 
even with neighborhood data if you have big changes in seating types based on neighborhood, which you usually do. Love that. Really interesting. And one of the things that, that COVID is, is causing, and you, you hinted at this before, is a relook at assumptions of who's using what. I mean, I'm thinking about offices more than I am universities, but I think it's true across the board. How much of, of the data you're, you're creating is explicitly about tenant improvements, about, about changes to the how, how existing places are being used? It sounds like there's, there's, there's two things. It's either we're going to build a thing or we're going to you know, renovate a thing. Or we're going to, there's some other things too. We're going to clean it more and some operational decisions. But on the TI side, how, how big a deal is that? Yeah, it's a huge deal. And, and first, let me come in defense of higher ed a little bit. Uh, I feel like I'm always kind of defending the higher ed institution vertical. I think a lot of people in prop tech misunderstand higher ed. Higher ed is just a massive office landlord and office occupier by and large. The top 500 universities in America have an average of 10.4 million square feet of space on campus and over 2 million square feet of office space on campus. The top Fortune 500 companies in America have on average about 2.5 million square feet of office space, but I would bet you that that's going to decrease by 30 to 40% over the next couple of years as leases roll over and that number gets recalculated. It's probably going to look closer to 1.5 million square feet of space. So higher ed, I believe within a couple of years, the average higher ed institution, top 500 in the country, will have more square feet of office space than the average Fortune 500 company. And the thing with higher ed is that's only going to continue getting more. They're going to keep building every single year. So I think they higher ed, all of our use cases with them is really the same use cases we have with a corporate office occupier. It's just that they're a little bit of a different vertical. They're a lot more price sensitive, a lot more privacy sensitive, and those play to our strengths a lot. So that's just a little bit of the, the background on higher ed. I, I think we should probably look at them just as a, an office occupier, by and large. That's the use cases that they use our data for. But getting back on kind of the TI point that you made, that's really the bulk of how people use our data. All the operational stuff is like a distant, you know, third, fourth use case. It's really how do we understand how our spaces are being used today so that we can have a better construction or leasing decision to make for, for future spaces or so that we can measure renovation success and we can see, did this renovation work? Did it drive more people to the space? And if so, we can justify future renovations like this. If not, we can understand that this renovation didn't work and not do these future renovations. So really those are like the far and away that the, the main use cases people use for our data. They're trying to trying to understand their future construction and leasing decisions and renovation decisions by understanding how the current space is being used. This is really cool. So I want to get back to a couple points that you've made. The first one is I really like the fact that you're not collecting anything that is privacy data. So it's just not even on the table for people that adopt your approach is they're not going to have to either deal with it or erase it or whatever. It's, it's just how many people are in a space. That's right. Yeah, we're totally GDPR and CCPA compliant. We don't use or store any personally identifiable information. We really built this solution from the ground up with privacy in mind. I was a student at UCSD. 
I was going to be being monitored by my own solution. And I said, I don't want to be tracked on campus. I don't want people to know where I'm going or know who I am, that I'm spending time in these places. I just don't, you know, I don't like that. So we made sure from the ground up, we built a solution that never captured any PII, never was able to identify anybody. We go through a lot of steps on our device in and how we handle the data that we scan in to ensure that there's no way that we can ever, whether we wanted to or not, be able to identify who's in a space. If the government came to us and said, Nick, we have to know who's in the space, we, would be, we wouldn't be able to answer them. There's, there's absolutely no way we can identify who's in a space. And we, we really like that. And I think there's really, there's two ways I think you can start to infringe on privacy. Uh, with people counting solutions, there's, is there a way to actually identify the person, whether it's through like cameras, facial recognition, through scanning in a device and seeing, you know, any personally identifiable signal markers that you can trace back to them uh, using Wi-Fi access point data. Some, some people do that where they can see like your username and login for who's logging into the Wi-Fi there. It's definitely identifying who the person is. But then I think there's a second way where people often overlook it and it gets back to that seat level granularity. Like if, you know, Nick is assigned to sit at a certain desk in an office and and you put a camera over that desk and the camera company can say, we're privacy safe. We're not going to report who's here. We're not going to use all the, any facial recognition or anything like that. That's all good and well, but if you know that Nick's assigned to sit at this desk and you're you're reporting who like when somebody's there, effectively you're still reporting when is Nick at his desk and when is he showing up for work, when is he leaving? And I think that's also a line that we will never cross. I don't want to report I don't want to be big brother on people. I want to help people make smarter real estate decisions. I don't want to, you know, make employees feel like they're being watched in the space. And I think even if you're not reporting who a person is, but you're reporting whether they're at their assigned desk or not, uh, that crosses the line that I'm not comfortable with either. Yeah, I really like that. So what's it like for companies? The other thing you pointed out is in 45 minutes, a pretty large space was able to be installed. Talk a little bit about what the installation process and then hooking the data up and actually getting some of the analytics running. What's that process like? Yeah, great question. So like I touched on a little bit, you know, we get floor plans from our customers. We we look at the space. We kind of create a layout of approximately where sensors will go, how many sensors it'll take to cover a space. And then we send them a quote. Once that gets approved, we then can ship out sensors to our customer. And it comes in a box, however many sensors they need with instructions and an app that can kind of take them through the install process. Generally, you know, let's call it 100,000 square feet per hour is roughly what can be installed by someone. And and maybe if it's your first time and you're a little slower, it might be a little slower than that. But we see a lot of people able to install, you know, around 100,000 square feet of space in an hour because that's 30 sensors. And so you're plugging in a sensor, you peel off the adhesive, plug it into an outlet, type it into our system that that sensor went there. You do that once every two minutes, you're plugging in, you know, you're, you're doing 100,000 square feet in an hour. So it can be really, really fast. And then from there, there's a calibration period where it takes usually about five to seven days for our sensors to effectively learn the signal behavior 
in the space that they're in. So we look at all the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi signals and we analyze what are the signals that are here constantly. Is it a printer? Is it an access point? Is it a smart thermostat? All these things, we want to ignore those signals. And then when people come into the space, what is the Bluetooth kind of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi fingerprint, we call it. And let's kind of train our machine learning algorithms to that specific space because we can't, you know, assume there's the same Bluetooth and Wi-Fi signal ratio from signals to people in a gym versus an office versus a dining hall. The way people use their devices and what devices they bring into these spaces are going to be unique across all these different space types and even geography types. And so it takes us about a week for the algorithms to train themselves to a space. Then we ask our customer throughout that week for a couple different headcounts in each zone uh, to verify that we're hitting over 90% accuracy, which is you know our threshold and our goal. The customer will submit a couple different headcounts. They'll just say, hey, it's 1037. There's you know 20 people in zone A or whatever the zone name is called. And then that goes into our system. We say, cool, we said there's 21 people or 19 people or whatever it is. We're within our, our threshold of 10% inaccuracy and we can go live with this data. And that typically happens about a week after installation. And then all the data is live and available via our web portal that our customers sign into or our API, which a lot of customers will integrate into different IWMS solutions that they're using already in-house with their space planning teams. Wow. I, I love how easy that is. The fact that it, it you know, an, in a week you're tuning it to, to the, you know, reality of a given space. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you. I mean, it's really one of our North stars at OccuSpace is we want to be the easiest solution on the market. Uh, we really, really strive to make things simple and easy, both internally and especially externally for our customers. And I think it's probably our biggest differentiator. Our competitors usually require, you know, an electrician to pull wiring, definitely require professional installation and big teams. I think one of our competitors put out an article that said like, we got a 200,000 square foot building like live in 90 days or something like that. And we're like, dude, we could do that like the installation in two hours and we could have them up and running in a week with actual data flowing. So it's, it's a huge differentiator and it gets back to how big of a market this is. And if we truly want to change, if in 10 years, I want people to truly change the way we make decisions around commercial real estate. We have to build a solution that can scale up to, you know, a significant portion of this market of what I think is 55 billion square feet of in-scope square footage in America alone. You know, we have to be building a solution that can scale into the tens of billions of square feet. And I just don't believe a competitor has been able to come up with a solution that can scale like we have been able to. So it's something I'm really proud of, and it's a big focus at OccuSpace. Awesome. Well, I, on the website, you actually have the ability for people to have an understanding of what this might cost. You've got actually a slider that allows people to roughly put in their square feet, and it's an annual price, so people can kind of walk in knowing what this is going to mean. I, it's pretty rare that people have the clarity to do that, so I, I really think that's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. We definitely we want people to know that you don't have to be scared of the pricing. Generally, we're around 15 cents 
per square foot annually is is the cost of OccuSpace. It changes space to space, but that's a pretty good ballpark estimate. And that's probably about three times cheaper than the next cheapest competitor on the market. And that's probably about five to seven times cheaper than most of the competitors on the market. And so we've really built far and away the most affordable solution on the market. We still have over 90% accuracy. We've actually been third-party tested and we were 3% more accurate than a camera competitor in terms of people counts for the whole zone. For that was a dining hall actually. And so we've built a really accurate solution. It's the most scalable on the market. And we've also been able to be, you know, three to seven times cheaper than the competition. And I think those are a lot of things to be pretty happy about, but like, I still don't even know, you know, if we're cheap enough, you know, I think if you add up all the coverage of space from all the biggest occupancy data companies, we're still like 0.1% of the market is of commercial of in scope corporate or commercial real estate is covered by occupancy data like nobody's made a dent in this market yet so you know maybe there's ways at scale we can get even cheaper and, and that's things we're looking at but we're we're not i think a lot of our competitors have come out with really expensive solutions and maybe they've built up you know decent businesses that are doing 10 or 20 million bucks in revenue or something i, I have no idea what they're doing but maybe you can get up to that scale with a expensive solution by finding a handful of customers willing to pay that. But if your goal is truly to change the way people make decisions on commercial real estate for the market as a whole and make occupancy data a standard metric for office space, for retail space, for QSR space, we're really far off, you know, and even OccuSpace is still going to need to get easier and cheaper to be able to tackle that. But I think everybody else, like I'm not sure what their technology, they have even a path forward. Well, Nick, thank you for being on the podcast. I really loved hearing about what OccuSpace does. Some of the, the website and other ways of reaching you will have in the, the show notes. Uh, so thanks again for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Hugh. I really appreciate what you're doing here and it's always fun to listen to. Mm-hmm.